One of the interesting things I kind of learned from microdosing is I was able to feel what I was feeling and they weren't always good emotions, but like I was more comfortable sitting with them. You know, I got, I guess I got more interested in it when I started hearing more people talk about it in relation to like mental health and depression. I come from a background or childhood of some trauma. And so um, I think it's almost a release from that. Oftentimes compare it to like three cups of coffee without jitters or a come down. And there's just this childlike joy to it as well. Even a slight sparkle that's added to certain things you're observing or people you're looking at. I feel like it can lead to certain patterns of behavior that sort of creep, creep up on you. Let's see, the first time I heard the term microdosing, I was like, well, fuck, like, why would you spend any money on drugs that you're not going to notice? <laughs> From Outface Productions, this is Listening Glass. We have a bit of a doozy of a topic today with okay. microdosing psychedelics and... We're including both psilocybin mushrooms and LSD in that category. And we'll probably use, when we say microdosing, for the most part, we'll be referring to either of those. Oh, okay. Right? Because I haven't talked to a lot of people who make strong distinctions between microdosing either of them. And LSD and psilocybin are very similar chemically and have similar effects. Uh, people definitely do claim that there are, are some differences subtle differences between them but i think on the whole for for today's level of detail we can mostly treat them as identical hmm. yeah sounds good okay yeah <laughs> so um, full full disclosure real quick i've done neither of these substances ever oh. <laughs> so i'm uh yeah i i have done a little homework but as far as the actual experience of doing these i'm still a virgin i actually didn't know that until this very moment yeah, there you go. <laughs> we're just we're learning things about each other today. Yeah, yep. yeah. So that's really interesting. Mm -hmm. um, I guess I can self-disclose and say that I first experimented with both of these substances in high school, which mm. I think is true for a lot of people, um, and then intermittently, kind of throughout my twenties, like maybe every couple of years or a few years or something like that, mm. um, and then um, just recently tried out microdosing and I'm kind of doing an ongoing little experiment with that. Cool. But let's jump into what these substances are. What yeah. we just kind of the sciencey bits. Well, that sounds good, but I just oh. wanted to ask real quick for anyone who doesn't actually know what is microdosing or what is a microdose? Okay. Um yeah, let's go there first. So, well, yeah, okay, we can go there first. So, Micro with with let's talk about LSD because it's easier to to measure the dosages for that. Okay. Let's talk about what a typical normal dose is, and there really isn't such a thing. There's just different levels, and so if you wanted to say go to a concert, um, there's something called a museum dose or a concert dose. Where, oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> museum dose. Yeah. <laughs> and this is a a very light dose where you take 50 micrograms. A microgram is a millionth of a gram. Mm. Usually we measure chemicals like this in milligrams, like if you do vitamins or any most other pharmaceuticals are measured in a much larger unit, thousand times bigger than a milligram mm. than a microgram. 
and you would take only 50 micrograms of LSD if you didn't want to have, say, like kind of strong visuals and a large shift in consciousness that mm. might make it hard for you to act in a normal way. But right. um, the museum dose of 50 micrograms might uh, make colors pop out a little bit. They're going to change the way you think a little, but not in such a way where you don't feel like you're going to be able to function socially um, or even professionally for that matter. Mm. Um, there's the next tier up is 100 micrograms. And James Fadiman describes that as like a professional problem solving dose. <laughs> he says like engineers and scientists and people would take that amount and try to focus on a really difficult problem. Mm, um, I think okay. particularly one that might be cognitive in nature, right? Yeah. But it's also what I would call just like a dose. Is a, okay. Like when people talk about how many doses they're taking, I would say 100 micrograms is kind of the standard dose. So like if I wanted to go to a party and like get messed up and have a good time, I would, I would actually start with with. Yeah. If it was like dose. a safe place where you yeah. felt like it would be safe to do LSD and people would be OK with that and you yeah. wouldn't be uncomfortable. I think yeah. that's acceptable. Right. Especially if other people were doing it. Mm -hmm. But you wouldn't want to do, I don't think you would want to do that amount if you were like in mixed company or if you might be around people who would make you feel uncomfortable for being on that substance, right? right. Because right. I think it, you're starting to get into the territory there where you're going to feel a little bit ungrounded and it could be really uncomfortable if you were around the wrong people or, or if you felt, felt self-conscious about being in an altered state of consciousness that could go right. bad places so it's like it's like we're not in kansas anymore absolutely okay yes <laughs> and i would say you're even you're kind of like stepping out of kansas on the on the 50 microgram okay. museum dose as well okay but you're grounded enough where you're probably gonna like keep it under wraps and be able to manage it right whereas 100 micrograms it's like no you want to feel pretty safe and like yeah taken care of and be feel free to explore that experience for what it is, right? Sure. And not have to be t tethered to this idea of being normal, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay, so then in relation to those dosages, what would constitute a microdose? Um, so, well, let's talk, I guess you could go much higher in dosage as yeah. well, mm -hmm. and, and up around, you could go up to 400 micrograms, and that's wow. more of the... I think they call it like heroic dose. And you're talking like serious <laughs> inner work, spiritual journey stuff, like ego death. I would call it a very like spiritual focused, mystical experience at that point. Okay. Um, which we're not really going to talk about on okay. this show. This show we're focused. We don't really want to talk about tripping. That's just a whole nother can of worms. Mm -hmm. And what we're talking about today is taking micro doses or sub perceptual doses of these substances and that is down in like the 10 microgram range so wow. about a tenth of a dose okay and yeah it's you don't feel like you're tripping and if you do you've done a little bit too much if you're aiming okay. for a micro dose yeah so so for each individual a micro dose would constitute just enough to notice that something's happening but not enough to really noticeably alter your perception? Is that kind of what we're talking about here? I would say that a microdose, oftentimes you don't even know, you don't even notice anything. Mm, okay. Yep. Mm. And in that way, I would think of microdosing as almost a pharmaceutical type dose, mm. right? That's one mm -hmm. of the ways I've thought of it. Because when you take 
I don't, I've never been on an anti, antidepressant or anything like that, but I'm, when you take them, you don't feel high as far as I know. I don't, right. I don't, that's not my impression of them, but you're going to notice some more subtle effects in mood and maybe the way you self-reflect and a little bit in cognition and things like that. But that that's different than a shift in consciousness. Right. 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 And so I think when people say sub-perceptual, that's the only way I can really make sense of that is mm -hmm. that we're not talking about a shift in consciousness. We're talking about changes in mood and cognition, mm -hmm. which is very mm -hmm. different. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But okay. I mean, there are levels of changes in cognition that would constitute a change in consciousness, maybe. Yeah. It's, it's kind of, it gets murky to try to really like pin down sure. these definitions. Sure. Right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. But that, that gives me a rough ballpark of what we're shooting for with a microdose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's like really a rather small amount. Right. And let's actually, this is a great time. I've been interviewing people about this just so we're not relying just on scientific studies and things, but we have a wealth of interviews that I've done and this might be a good time to just listen to how other people would define a microdose just to get an idea of what other people are thinking of too. Uh, Cause I think it does vary a bit. I don't, mm. I'm, I'm kind of sticking to my guns on the sub perceptual. You don't feel a shift in consciousness, but I, from my experiences with talking to others, I, it does seem like um, people get a little bit high, I'll call it, and would still qualify that as a microdose mm. mm -hmm. colloquially. Yeah. So. Cool. All right. Let's roll the tape. Okay. I would say a microdose is something that you can't feel immediately and something that you you can feel longer term, mm -hmm. whereas a regular dose is something you can feel immediately. And then there's this weird between also, which mm -hmm. I feel like more of my experience has been. It's supposed to have more of a long-term effect, just kind of like an antidepressant and that if you feel it just even just a little bit, then it's maybe too much. Say a quarter of what I would take or like a quarter of a hit of acid or mm -hmm. um, just less than enough to uh, feel energy, I guess, and mm. um, be stimulated, but mm -hmm. um, be pretty in touch. Okay. Yeah. Well, a microdose is a it's a super super low dose of anything, and I would say it would be like something like it would be such a low dose that it's unlikely to cause like a whole body effect. It would be like sub perceptual, so um, you'd only like really it would only be affecting you like on the cellular level. Mm -hmm. um, so I mean, like you could you know microdose marijuana if you wanted to and you wouldn't necessarily feel like high mm -hmm. but maybe it would be like a slight difference okay and you're saying um, like you wouldn't even feel a little high no i mean like so i've uh i've microdosed psilocybin and um so you're not supposed to get like any hallucinogenic effects whatsoever mm -hmm. um and sometimes I would even forget that I had taken my microdose that mm -hmm. day. Mm -hmm. um, but things would just be like a little bit like if I was really down and then like I took a microdose, like I might notice like, oh, like that flower is really beautiful or like actually it's like a really nice day. So it's like your perception changes a little bit mm -hmm. where you're like actually able to like be more joyful or like appreciate beauty or, mm -hmm. you know, things like that. All right, so that's 
what a microdose is. And now maybe we can talk about just what we know about the neurology and pharmacology mm. of psilocybin mm -hmm. and LSD. Um, I've mostly been studying psilocybin and its effect. And I'm just going to step out on a limb and say it's pretty analogous to what's going on neurologically with um, LSD. But mm. I could be a little off on that. But yeah. So the way that psilocybin works is it's very chemically similar to serotonin. It basically mimics the behavior of serotonin and certain serotonin receptors. And so the scientific name of serotonin is 5-HT. And there's different types of receptors that um, receive serotonin. And one of them is the 5-HT2A or serotonin 2A mm. receptor. And that's the one that psilocybin is active in. What happens is it basically just fills the same slot as serotonin in that receptor. And so you're getting basically however much you take, like that much more, quote unquote, serotonin like activity in your brain. Mm. Now, I wish neurology was a lot simpler and cleaner to talk about and define because when we start talking about if we want to understand what psilocybin does, we kind of have to understand what ser serotonin does. Mm. And serotonin is extremely um, widespread in terms of its function in the nervous system and in cognition. So right. it's, it's a not little... Just, it's not like the happy hormone. Or no, something. exactly. Yeah. Right, exactly. Mm -hmm. Let's just bring up a quick definition, at least a, a very broad one, of what serotonin does, um, just so we have some idea of really like the the vast effects or, or widespread effects of this. Just straight from Wikipedia, Funct its function is complex and multifaceted, modulating cognition, reward, learning, memory, and numerous physiological processes. So reward, learning, memory, and physiological processes. Um, so it's pretty complicated to like pin down exactly what this does. And when, yeah. you, when you take a substance such as psilocybin or LSD that starts interacting with these circuits, it makes sense that you would have a pretty widespread effect as well. Right. Yeah. So how, however it is that your body responds to serotonin, it could be responding the same way to the substance. Yeah. Or not, really. I mm -hmm. mean, depend. you know, I mean, it's analogous, but it's not the same, right? So, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah. Mm -hmm. So psilocybin interacts with the serotonin 2A receptor and there's a couple of results of this. One of them is that it leads to an increase in the production of something called brain-derived neurofactor. Hmm. And one of the ways this is described, and it's referred to as BDNF, it's described as a sort of miracle grow for the brain, stimulating growth, connections, and activity, which already we're like going into the territory of like, oh, like, <laughs> wait, I can get so miracle cool. grow for my brain? Like, sign me up. Whoa, bro. I know. <laughs> I think of a chia pet. <laughs> and I wonder, it sounds really promising. And from what I've looked into, like, we don't really grow a lot of neurons as adults. There is some new neuron growth happening, but it's really quite limited. Another thing it does is increases transmission of glutamate which is a neurotransmitter responsible for cognition, learning, and memory. Hmm. Okay. And here we can start to get into basically why the, some of the very many 
potential positive benefits that you might get from microdosing. And one of them, we could just categorize one as being kind of like productivity, Mm, right? mm -hmm. Thinking about BDNF and increased transmission of glutamate that starts to kind of like, it seems obvious how that could occur, right? Where like, if I could learn better, memorize things better, that stuff's really important for my job, right? As a web developer, I have to, I'm always like re-looking up things that I've forgotten (laughs) about some like, Mm -hmm. you know, technology specification and that's part of my job, right? Yeah. And so being able to think, and for most people's jobs, right? Like people need to be able to just kind of stay focused, learn things well, and remember what they've learned. Um, and so that's been a really promising, I'm very interested in that because if I could just be smarter, I would be a lot better at what I do. <laughs> I want the Chia pet brain. <laughs> yeah, right. Wouldn't it be great? You could just water your brain, mm-hmm. you know, and just tune it up, kind of trim it when it gets to the right <laughs> level, you know, show it nice off to your lush, friends. Lush little Chia pet brain. <laughs> Um, and so that's some of the reported benefits and, you know, I think I, I have heard, I'm pretty sure some people in the interviews have mentioned that and let's just listen to some of those and, and see what people are saying in terms of what they're reporting on the productivity side of it. Mm-hmm. If I need to be productive, I need to get out of a funk which happens quite frequently, then mm-hmm. yeah, microdosing is effective. And productivity is part of it for you. Absolutely. Uh, to me, it kind of can oftentimes feel a little bit like I oftentimes compare it to like three cups of coffee without jitters or a wow. calm down. So like if, yeah. And that's still at a sub-perceptual dose where you don't feel like that psychedelic onset? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's really... And I, and part of that is just that like, you know, when the part of depression is like, you don't feel like doing anything yeah. and you have like really low energy and, um, you know, things that normally get joy from don't get joy from. So, um, yeah, I definitely feel like microdosing just kind of makes me like more get up and go. It makes you more productive and just sort of sharper. Um, compared to coffee, it was a little, um, in this case is LSD. Um, it was a little more, uh, clear and sort of fun and flowy, easy going, um, with also maybe the tail end being a little more obsessive compulsive. So that's productivity. And maybe now's a good time to dive into some of the results I've observed with my own experiences with microdosing over the last 17 days. And, and over the last 17 days, I've microdosed on eight of those days and have had a pretty consistent schedule with it for the last half of that. Mm. I didn't have my schedule totally well thought out at first. And I was actually microdosing every day Mm. doing starting at 0.1 grams of dried mushrooms and working up to 0.15 grams. I did three days in a row and then I took a break and I didn't notice any effects right away except for some maybe like slightly increased ability to focus. Mm -hmm. And I didn't notice any perceptual effects of the drug. Like honestly, I felt totally normal for Mm -hmm. the the first uh, four doses, I believe it was that I took. And those were all 0.15 grams or smaller. Day one, when I took 0.1 grams, I felt like I had a really normal day. 
Like it was just, I felt no difference whatsoever and didn't observe any difference in the way that I worked or my behavior. I will note that that evening, I was, I was, it was kind of a down in the dumps sort of evening. And that might be related to, and the studies done on this have reported actually an, a slight hmm. increase in neuroticism. Okay. Which isn't a good thing. No. <laughs> no, we generally don't want to get more neurotic. No. So yeah. more neurotic would be more worrisome, um, more anxious, maybe a little more like more likely to get fixated on things. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Maybe a little more. Yeah. Fixated, OCD-ish mm -hmm. stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and there have been reports on that that that's kind of it can be a normal effect, especially afterward. And I'm mm -hmm. not sure how they quantified after if it was same day or if it was day after. Okay, so not necessarily a coming down experience, but just like a residual mm -hmm. effect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I would, and I, in my personal experience, I would say it's maybe same day. Like in that that day, it was the night of. I felt that, but that didn't happen every day. Okay. Yep. I noticed it particularly on this day, but this was really weird timing mm. because the first day I started microdosing was just happened to be the day after I went through a breakup. Oh, okay. And so, so and of course, like in the journal entry, I was dwelling on that breakup and also on just, you know, feelings of loneliness and like thoughts of like being alone and being kind of hung up on, on things like that, which is sure. super normal after totally. a breakup. So mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, you know, and that's the way all of this kind of like personal research goes is you're not a, ever like a, a perfect uncontaminated specimen to to do a test on right yeah so that's day one day two was actually pretty cool um day two i did 0.11 grams which mm. was just a very small increase from 0.1 and it was i was doing a type of work this day where i was doing a lot more planning and organizing and laying out work for the future and figuring out how much time stuff was going to take and also writing emails to people which isn't my normal work stuff so it was mm. maybe a little bit stimulating just to be doing something different but i was really focused that day and um got a lot done mm. and so that was maybe one of these like what what a lot of people would call really good days <laughs> that they feel okay. like with microdosing which is a term that comes out from a book title from um her name's ayelle waldman Huh. and her book was called A Really Good Day. That's kind of the way she summed up microdosing, was that she didn't really feel like different on a huge level, but she just noticed her days were typically better. Mm, okay. Yep. And um, Which, I mean, it sounds like kind of the holy grail when you think about it, if you could get it in a way that wouldn't, uh, that would have minimal downsides, right? Mm -hmm. If you could just take a substance that was just going to give you make today a really good day. Yeah. I think that that would be really appealing to a lot of people. Right. And of course, the concern comes in when you wonder, well, what what are the costs, right? Because we usually assume that this stuff does come with a cost. Yeah, I yeah. agree with that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so, and it sounds like the, the costs are noticeable, at least for some people. Right. And then... The neuroticism uptick I find really interesting. I also find it to be intermittent. Mm. I have noticed some days, I always microdose in the morning, mm. and usually through the evening, I am I feel very on it and, and good and mm. generally present with the things that I'm doing. And I only really noticed a hard uptick 
and neuroticism that first day. Mm -hmm. um, but I have noticed day after sometimes I feel kind of down, which also is within my norm. Okay. Like it's, it's normal for me to, to have like moody afternoons and things and mm -hmm. where I'm kind of like cranky and don't really want to interact with people, et cetera. Mm -hmm. Right. So l let me ask you this. Um, so this, the effects of these substances, they are not making you secrete more serotonin. They are just mimicking serotonin. Yeah, that's right? my understanding. Okay. Now I've heard about like, like when people do MDMA, mm -hmm. I've heard about people having like a really bad day afterwards. Oh yeah. And it sounds like, it mm -hmm. sounds like the caching, they're like draining the serotonin level. Is that what happens with MDMA or is that a I misapprehension? No yeah. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I've, had, I've had that experience with mushrooms though too on higher really? doses, on like okay. normal doses. Okay. Where I feel quite depleted afterward and mm -hmm. kind of depressed and really just unenthused mm -hmm. is a good way to put it where nothing is exciting and I just feel really like drab and the world seems drab and like mm -hmm. like all the color that was kind of put into the world was like sucked out of it you know like right <laughs> so it does it's interesting because despite the fact that you're only adding something to your system mm -hmm. and you're not necessarily draining an existing amount right you know it seems like your but this your body has some kind of balancing reckoning it, it it almost makes me wonder if your nervous system or your brain has a certain come down hmm. when it gets a hit of serotonin. Right. And it could just be that the amount of serotonin that you get from most normal things mm -hmm. just is it just doesn't spike you enough to really have a sting on the other side. Right. Right. But and I, th I think that's actually more true also for the microdose territory is my, okay. my own speculation, I guess. And, and right. from my own experience a little bit is that I definitely haven't been had those big lows like I would from a normal trip mm -hmm. on the day after. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that it does make sense that dramatically different dosages might just have qualitatively different effects. Sure. Right. Sure. Um, I have noticed there's obviously some threshold. And maybe I've, I have my own theory that there's a threshold mm. where, and it's a very like fine line, right? Between a microdose and a light dose, mm -hmm. because I've had a couple of days where I do 0.2 gram. I did 0.2 grams one day because I wasn't feeling anything. And I was like, maybe I should be feeling more. So I bumped it up to 0.2. Mm. And my previous highest dose at that point had been 0.15. Didn't notice any observable effects yeah. or perceptual effects bump up to point two and i basically had like a mini trip and like couldn't get any work done wow <laughs> okay so you found your you found your limit there and i you find found... i find that really yeah i find yeah. that really interesting that that small of an increase in dosage resulted in a very qualitative difference in effects where it was suddenly okay now i'm tripping yeah right yeah let me ask you what form were you taking the substance in so the what I did, I have some dried mushrooms, mm -hmm. and I put them in a coffee grinder and ground them up into a, kind of a powder, mm. and I've just been eating it. Okay. Yeah. So, so you've, I'll just you've measure been it out measuring with a scale. With a scale. Okay. Yeah. And then eating it. Yeah. Okay. So in it's this a scale, very small amount. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's very small. Yeah. <laughs> small to the point where I, I question the accuracy of my scale at that yes. at that weight. Right. Right. Um so just, it sounds easy to to get a different dose than you want to just by the difficulty of handling. I think there's pr probably like a, at least a 10% margin of error on the scale that I'm using. Yeah. Is my guess. Um yeah. at this at this weight. So, right. So if mm -hmm. you're going to commit to really getting into it, it might behoove you to spend the money on a spend good scale. Spend more than $12 on Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah, okay. That's yeah. that's But I do I do me. feel like I'll take I'll put the dose on, get mm -hmm. a weight, I'll take it off, I'll put it back on, things mm -hmm. like that if I feel like I'm getting a wrong reading mm -hmm. and it's usually pr pretty consistent. Mm -hmm. So, I'm fairly confident that these dosages are accurate. Right. Um, Right. within that 10% margin mm -hmm. of error. But. Mm -hmm. Now, just another aspect of curiosity. I did some reading about the psilocybe family of mushrooms mm -hmm. because apparently, you know, a lot of people, they just think, you know, the word psilocybin or psychocilocybin, and they think that it's one mushroom, right? Mm. But it's actually, there's a, it's, it's a whole family. Yeah. Or maybe family is not the right word. Maybe it's a genus. Um, it's a something. I think it is a genus. Okay. Yeah, because there's psilocybe cubensis. Right. And there's psilocybe, I think, other varieties after that. Right. Species names. So. And so, mm -hmm. yes. And so, basically, it's a, you know, the, the cubensis is actually the one that gets a lot of, of hype where we live, mm -hmm. right? And um, it's... It interestingly um, is one of the few varieties of the, the psilocybe mushrooms that does grow in feces. Mm -hmm. Most of them don't around mm -hmm. the world. Mm. So that was something interesting for me to learn about. And like cow pies. Exactly, yeah. exactly. So mm -hmm. that, you know, you, you have this kind of um, mythology around it, and that's where people will actually go. You know, you'll, uh, I, I watched a, a documentary that Vice put out um, which you can watch on YouTube. Mm -hmm. And uh, they interviewed this farmer, this mm -hmm. cow farmer, who was talking about, you know, these these damn kids, mm -hmm. you know, coming on my farm and yep. picking through the, you know, cow pies and finding the mushrooms. I just want to take a second to, like, put ourselves in their shoes. You know what I mean? Like, Definitely. just imagine you're, like, a conservative, like, middle-aged person who has a farm and, like, cows mm -hmm. are your way of life. Mm -hmm. And you're, like, a salt-of-the-earth person. And there's like pe young people in tie dye coming to your farm and <laughs> and plucking fungus off of your animal's waste product. Like, just imagine how that looks to them. Like, <laughs> it is, man. I mean, it's trespassing. It's theft. You know, and totally like, um, incomprehensible. I'm yeah. sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 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 Well, and and you know, and the interesting thing is that. Even if trespassing and theft weren't illegal, actually taking the substance is also illegal, right? Yeah. So there's just there's multiple <laughs> layers of transgression going on there. You know, that's some that's a gray area I actually tried to look into today. Yeah. Whether or not taking it is oh, illegal. Okay, the ingesting of it, right. Because mm -hmm. from what I found, I couldn't find anything saying it's illegal to say be high okay. on really any substance. It's illegal to possess them. It's illegal to manufacture them and to do certain things like drive drunk, right? That's 
yes exactly yeah which i appreciate i actually didn't know that was true i just i I thought it was literally like a thought crime to like be high you know Mm, like mm -hmm. (laughs) like if someone broke into your house and they couldn't find any evidence of you having a substance and you were just sitting on your couch but they they detected that you're perceptually high yeah you probably couldn't be charged i mean theoretically i was i was doing a, a thought experiment please don't do this but I was doing a thought experiment where I could just like take mushrooms and go downtown and like tell a police officer that I'm on mushrooms and like, (laughs) would they be able to like do anything? Yeah. And my conclusion was that they couldn't Mm. really, unless I was being some sort of nuisance in some other legal way. Right. right? Like above just being an annoying person. Right. Mm -hmm. If I was like being Mm -hmm. annoying. Um, doing something like making people unsafe or obstructing traffic mm-hmm. or whatever, right? Um, and it's, yeah. you get in a kind of constitutional territory here about what, what you can kind of charge people with for being different. Interesting. You know, that, that's a good point because like, for example, a lot of careers will urine test, right? Yeah. Um, and if they do like detect, for example, evidence of marijuana in your system, you won't get the job, but you haven't broken any law, right? Correct. So they, they can't charge you based on your urine test. Correct. So yeah, that, that, is, that is really interesting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This show is sponsored by Megan Brandenburg Design, your brand illuminated. Does your project or business need a more cohesive visual identity? Do your marketing materials need pizzazz? Megan is your go-to. She also offers apparel design, product packaging design, and motion graphics. Megan worked with us to design the Listening Glass logo, and we love the stunning result. Megan is on Instagram at Megan Brandenburg Design. Find the full link in the episode description. Yeah, I, I like. I wanted to talk a little bit more about the legality, but do you want to? Man, the structure of this podcast is just I totally know. breaking down. I know, man. <laughs> well, I just yeah. I mean, we could go into it now, or what? Like, um, let's let's save it for the end to get into the kind of the real legality of yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. Um, just because I don't want to get too yeah. um, tangential. Yeah. But well, cool. Yeah, lead us, lead okay. us away. So yeah. where were we? We were talking about the effects. And I was starting to break down my own personal experience with productivity benefits. And um, I find, I think there is a slight boost in my ability to focus. Mm -hmm. And even on the, there were two days that I microdosed where I felt um, perceptual effects, where Mm -hmm. I felt slightly high. The first day it was a shit show and I couldn't focus. I couldn't like keep a train of thought. it's just that I was so distractible. It was the opposite of what I wanted, right? Like I wanted to really like hone my focus and I felt very distracted. And I think partially it was because I was preoccupied with the fact that I was like a lot higher than I thought. Mm, okay. And so it just, I wasn't really mentally prepared for it. Now, so what was your actual experience then of being higher? Okay. Than, yeah. <laughs> um, this is where we need poets. Um, <laughs> really, because this stuff is difficult. There's something about the way you you feel in your own body that changes mm. where I remember feeling as if I could feel like the blood flow toward the surface of my skin. Hmm. Like there okay. was like a warm current going, like moving just under my skin that, that was kind of pronounced. All sensations were increased to the, the point of being a little bit overwhelming sometimes. Like if there was a loud noise, noise, I was very sensitive to sound, um, 
pretty much always reported is an increase in um, the vividness of colors, mm. right? And so, and things just look sharper. There's kind of an edge, like a, a sharper edge to things, like a contrast, I suppose, would be the mm. word for it. Um, and if, <sighs> hmm, see if I can dig into that a little bit more. It's kind of easier to describe the sensual, the stuff based in the senses than it is to describe the feelings. Sure. Right? I kind of often fall back to the word novelty or of, of having a novel experience where you're having pretty much your normal everyday thoughts, but they feel different. Mm, okay. There's there's some newness to them. Mm-hmm. There's a definitely a warmth in your heart. I found it at these lower dosages, literally, like physiologically, like mm. you just feel this kind of warm glow, like right in the center of your chest. Mm. Another question, how long would it take for these effects to come on after you had uh, About 50 it? minutes. Okay. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So if you were trying a micro dose, you would wait about an hour to, to mm -hmm. see whether you wanted to up the dosage. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I'd say wait an hour and a half. Okay. Because um, you you're going to get peak experience hour and a half to two hours and mm -hmm. on those perceptual doses. Mm -hmm. Right. So the second day I did a perceptual dose, which was also, I wasn't aiming for one, but I had already had, I, I dropped it down to 0.16 thinking this might go below that threshold and it didn't. Um, <laughs> and which is interesting to me because I had done a 0.15 dose before. So we're talking that small of a difference. Mm. That that time I was more mentally prepared for being in a different state of consciousness if it did happen. And mm. I, would, what made this day different was I was totally dedicated in my mind to the idea of being focused on my work and using whatever happened with me mentally and channeling it into my job and mm. being on task. Mm. And that actually worked well. Which I find, I think having the right intention when you go into it is really important. Um, and just having that that dedication of, of sticking with the task I set ahead of me made a huge difference. And that time it felt more, almost like, people have said this a lot, you feel like it's like a really strong cup of coffee mm. without the jitters. And once you put your focus to something, you can really like dive into it. And I was problem solving some things I was working on really fluently right just like mm -hmm. a lot of the times with computer programming it's it's just a very like stepwise exploration of the problem where you're kind of like peeling layers of the onion back mm -hmm. to figure out how something works and maybe where it's, something's going wrong mm -hmm. and i was able to every time you go from one layer to the next it's an opportunity to mentally get off track or to get distracted or to check out and I found that I was much more able to go layer to layer through that onion without distraction happening much more easily than normal. Mm, okay. Right. Like I often give into distraction. It's just kind of part of my normal mental flow where I'm, I'm just pretty distractible. Yeah. Um, and so it was cool to see that, that it was able, when I focused on focusing, I was actually able to do it pretty <laughs> well. Okay. Mm-hmm. And maybe a little better than you would have been able to without the substance. I think so. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. From that experience, that was my takeaway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. 
I mean, I have like I've had that same experience. I think using marijuana, where, um, you know, that there are certain moments when I couldn't keep my mind trained on a thing because I maybe had too much of it. But then there were other moments where it would allow a thing to be the only thing that mm-hmm. I was taking in, mm-hmm. or it was like more of my consciousness. And sometimes even my body felt aligned mm-hmm. with my attention on that thing. Mm-hmm. It's almost like I was training all the cells in my body in the direction of the, <laughs> of the thing, right? So yeah, yeah, it sounds a little bit like that. And get, getting into that a little more, I think the type of task you're trying to focus on is really important Okay. with, with either cannabis or psilocybin and LSD, mm-hmm. where people have, one guy on YouTube, um, I've, I've watched like kind of the top layer of YouTube videos on this, and one of them, his name is Richard Harris, and I liked, I liked his reporting on it. He seemed pretty self-aware, which is important, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and... Um, he mentioned that he didn't think he was as good at math and that type of logic stuff when he was microdosing, but he felt much better at creative things, Hmm. which Mm -hmm. that kind of lines up with how I was able to do planning and like strategic thinking pretty well, but I wasn't, I I guess I haven't had any problems doing mathy stuff, honestly, like my short term memory actually seems like it's a little bit better maybe, Mm -hmm. uh, based on just my ability to recall a number um i remember recalling like a 10 digit eight like it was an 800 number right and just like i saw it once and like didn't have to rehearse it to retain it and write it down or dial it or whatever it was so hmm. okay and that it, that sounds notably different right like well like i'm normally able to recall a seven digit number pretty well but i'll yeah. usually rehearse it at least once okay. before I try to go do something with it. And that yeah. time I was just like, oh, got the number, do the thing. Hmm. Mm-hmm. And it felt like just really clean. And mm-hmm. I didn't like have any self-doubt in that, which I usually do. Okay. <laughs> like, oh, I might I might forget these numbers. It's just like solidly there. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's a, that's a point for the memory, mm-hmm. right? Um, which we're, I was hoping to see, right? And that's short-term memory, right? Which is different than long-term trying to remember, you know, some code specification for work or something like that. Sure. Okay. Where are we now? So one other really common reason that people will microdose these psychedelics is to treat or help treat anxiety and depression, especially in conjunction with therapy, I've noticed, and a lot of the studies have focused on people doing, doing some kind of microdosing regimen in conjunction with a a therapy therapeutic environment or, or during counseling sessions and the research on this is really promising it's one of the more promising areas um and it's all kind of based on self-reporting and we can put some links to some of these studies in the show notes and there's there's been a couple of them but there's been a really there's been positive outcomes in, in treating depression and anxiety um mm-hmm. and, and i'm gonna maybe lump into that uh, PTSD as well as being a kind of like emotional um, problem that has been tackled or or that people have tried to treat with microdosing. And this is also a personal interest of mine because I do, I've never been diagnosed with anxiety or depression, but I have suspected that I struggle with kind of like on the 
definitely lighter range of those mm-hmm. things. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people do, right? It's kind of like, it really seems normal to me. Like anytime yeah. I bring up anxiety and depression with someone, people are like, oh yeah, totally bro. Like, <laughs> yeah, I think probably in this day and age, especially among adults, people who just don't ever deal with that are mm-hmm. the exception. Mm-hmm. I, I would almost be worried about someone mm-hmm. who just reported that they had never... I would hate them. <laughs> Probably so, right? Yeah, because it just... You're right. It just does seem... Maybe it has always been a normal part of the adult human experience. So, okay. So, but we started talking about the clinical application of... um of these psychoactive drugs for the purposes of helping people with depression, Mm. PTSD. Mm. So why don't we, let's talk a little bit more about that. Okay. Yeah. Well, it might be a good time because we did mention that studies are kind of showing these effects and we can blabber about it all day, but let's listen to uh, one of my friends. We're going to call her Molly, not her real name. She was kind enough to open up about her own experience with microdosing as a treatment for depression and PTSD. This is a bit of a longer interview, but I think it's definitely worth listening to a good chunk of it here. So here it is. Yeah, so let's see. I started dabbling in microdosing probably about a year ago, over a year ago. And it wasn't until I moved to a different city and went through a breakup that I was, and I was just having a really hard time in general. And, mm. um, I just decided to, and I had gone to some talks and I got a book, um, James Fadiman, um, the psychedelic explorer's guide, mm-hmm. um, that I decided to like, I would take a microdose in the morning every 72 hours, like about every three days. Okay. And I did that. Yeah. And I did that for about six months straight. Well, I, let's see, I, they recommend you like do it for like, like a month or two and then like take a break. Mm-hmm. And then and start again. And at the time I was seeing a therapist who was like very on board with all of this. And I had talked to her about it. And on my break, I felt really down again. She said, you know, you can like go back to it. And Mm. so I took like a in that six months, I took about like a month break Mm -hmm. from microdosing. Um, I'm not microdosing currently, but it's just nice to know that it's always there um, and it works pretty immediately. Mm-hmm. So that's comforting. You said you took it at a down, or you started the regimen during a downtime in your life. Or would you mm-hmm. self-identify during that time as being somewhere in the like de- de- depressed or slightly depressed? Or yes, mm-hmm. definitely. Um, yeah, I had actually been diagnosed with depression and PTSD um, about like a year before. Mm-hmm. And like for a couple of years, I was just, I was, I was having such a hard time just dealing with life, like getting out of bed was hard. Mm-hmm. And, um, also I have a history of binging and purging. So an eating disorder mm-hmm. and I would use binging and purging as a way to like mask my feelings, um, and just avoid, um, you know, moving through my emotions so um Mm -hmm. the one of the interesting things I kind of learned from microdosing is I was able to 
feel what I was feeling and they weren't always good emotions, but like I was more comfortable sitting with them. Mm. Mm-hmm. Through that, I was actually able to adopt new habits. Like I like I've spent like years going to therapy and like I've gained all these great skills and like I'm really into yoga and meditation. So like I have like a good toolkit, but like being able to just do do the practices and like use those tools in my toolkit was really hard Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. I noticed that when I started microdosing like instead of you know binging when I was having a hard day or like when I was feeling anxious about something I instead was like oh I can go meditate Mm -hmm. and then I would go meditate instead or oh I can go for a walk or oh I can go do this thing or Mm -hmm. oh I can journal Mm -hmm. so that was probably like one of the biggest takeaways I um Mm-hmm. Um, from microdosing. That's awesome. It's just, yeah, like adopting these new habits. Yeah. First of mm-hmm. all, just thanks so much for sharing this with me. Really grateful that you're sharing it. And yeah. anything that can make healthy choices easier and not a, a fight, which is something I definitely struggle with. Um, a lot of people do. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. I mean, it's it's just classic, right? Like mm-hmm. the, the healthy things are out, like we're always, you know, uh, complaining about how unappealing they are. <laughs> <laughs> I'm curious if you noticed a trend in first day versus second day versus third day in that cycle. Yeah. I mean, the first day, of course, you like feel a little bit more. And like second day, they say you have like afterglow after, you know, the day after you take any kind of psychedelic. And mm-hmm. um, sometimes the second day would, you know, I would be kind of back to like feeling a little bit low or like, sometimes second day was okay um but and then like by the third day uh especially at the beginning like like the days that I would microdose were noticeably noticeably better than the second and third day Mm -hmm. and then like by that day like by the next time I would microdose like I would be like kind of ready Mm -hmm. to microdose again Mm -hmm. um but you know over time like I just, it, it just, I just naturally tapered off and I just felt like I didn't need it anymore. Mm-hmm. And like, I still, you know, I don't always want to get out of bed in the morning to like go do my things, but, but that discomfort doesn't bother me as much anymore. If that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Wow. Like I feel more motivated. Yeah. Wow. Mm-hmm. Something I am a little worried about with microdosing is I know when I've taken just like a a single dose, like a normal dose of psychedelics in the past, mm-hmm. I often feel a bit down right after the trip if I'm still awake and also the next day there's kind of a slump. Mm-hmm. And so I'm curious if there's, it seems like for microdosing, people are reporting an overall uptick in mood and motivation. I guess I would suspect that the second day sometimes and maybe the third day more often would be more of a slump than maybe even your like baseline when you're not microdosing and that's just my own like that's just what I would expect not based on anyone's Mm -hmm. reporting whatsoever um and I'm just curious if if I'm off base there and and speculating that or if you've observed anything like that or if day three maybe just feels more like your normal baseline without microdosing yeah, I would say day three was more like my normal baseline. Okay. Yeah, like I never felt like lower. You, 
I mean, like, except for days, like, you know, when I had outside forces, things would happen that would, you know, put me in a sad mood or, mm-hmm. but I wouldn't say that, like, I was feeling lower than I had been previously, like, mm-hmm. before the microdose. mushrooms is that um you know like versus prescription is you can play with your dose and you have like fairly low risk of like other things happening or like you're you have more control Mm -hmm. over how much you take and when you take it Mm -hmm. like if i were to take an ssri or an anti you know any antidepressant like i would have to i mean like hopefully like my doctor prescribes me the correct one and then i have to wait like weeks for it to even give me an effect and then like months for me to like figure out like is this the right one and then if it's not then i have to try a different one so you know this is like a fairly like quick way yeah i wouldn't say it's for everybody Mm -hmm. um like in a lot you know more people some people are more sensitive to psilocybin than others and like um but you do have more control over your dosage and how much you take all right I really appreciate you talking to me about this and your experience with it, and yeah. it's super valuable. So thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for inviting me on. So there was research done recently at Johns Hopkins University, and they were really responsible for throwing these substances back into the public awareness as uh, for their potential for therapeutic use. And basically, they came out with a statement which said that um, they they actually feel like the FDA should reclassify psilocybin in particular as a Schedule 4 drug and take it down from Schedule 1 drug status. Right. And that they said that psilocybin could have therapeutic benefits, and they said we're not going to really fully understand those and so basically, there, there was a fair amount of research going into um, psychoactive drugs post-World War II. Mm. And um, it, it kind of got shut down in the late 60s as a result of uh, the war on drugs in the United States. Oh, man, don't get me started. Yeah, right? So yeah, <laughs> that was just basically a big bummer, man. Yeah. And um, so basically, it was kind of chased underground until the late 90s. Mm-hmm. And it, so since the late 90s, there have been more studies. And basically, a lot of different people who've looked into it have said, wow, this stuff has a lot of potential to address these various um, issues that people have. And so interestingly enough, and I think partially as a result of Johns Hopkins kind of making a statement and sharing their findings, the FDA reviewed the work of a particular medical company which was experimenting with psilocybin, and they actually officially upgraded the psychedelic to what they call breakthrough therapy status. And so what that means is that they're like, okay, this is a cool thing that we should work on that deserves more research Mm -hmm. and which could, you know, in the near or moderate uh, intermediate future, Mm -hmm. like 
become a regular drug mm-hmm. that people use. Meaning, meaning one that's medically prescribed. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So these, let's talk about these schedules quick because I had to look into this to right. really know what was going on. And yeah. Schedule one is stuff that's marked as highly risky, basically, like high potential for abuse and or addiction mm-hmm. and also doesn't have any medical value. That's how okay. that's classified. And so this has a lot of recreational drugs lumped in there. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, these are your standard like cocaine, heroin. Um, actually, no, cocaine is Schedule Two. Oh, is it? Yep. Oh, I didn't know that. So is meth. Meth is also Schedule Two, which really? is just insane to me. Wow. Wow. <laughs> okay. But heroin, LSD, cannabis, <laughs> Schedule One, which is insane because we yeah. have like medical marijuana now that's regulated. Yeah. So yeah. like this whole schedule system, it's in place. Just to prosecute people. Okay. Regardless, it has no basis in fact Mm. whatsoever. Mm. This schedule system is used basically as a political tool. Okay. In order to incarcerate people that authority figures have deemed as some sort of threat. And this actually has history to it. Nixon was behind the war on drugs and 1970 is when the the Controlled Substances Act came out. Mm. And Nixon's basically on tape saying... Like, this is a great way to get rid of our political enemies or undermine them, which in his case was hippies and mm, black folks. Yeah. And okay. that, of course, we see that now. And this, is, to me, it's one of the, it's one of the most ugly and odious acts of mass violence in American history. To take away people's freedom, their time. And these are just, these, these are people who are not criminals. Yeah. Okay. If you do drugs and you do a crime, fine. Be prosecuted for that crime. But for possessing and and using, just possessing, that's what people are getting charged with, possessing a substance that you're using to alter your own mind for your own reasons, for your own pursuit of happiness, mm. and being able, having that the state has the power to incarcerate you for that, and incarcerating people who are not doing anything wrong to other people. Is, to, mm. is is such a great injustice. Mm. So that's my <laughs> that's my soapbox on that for yeah, a minute. Right. But like I it, mean, it's it does. You're right, it, it, and especially with people of color in this country, it's mm-hmm. basically, you know, like um, like Dave Chappelle did a stand up routine where they were talking about just sprinkle some crack on it, right? And it was the joke. It was like, if you want to put someone in prison, yeah. all you have to do is just sprinkle a little crack on on, on your evidence, right? And oh, it's then like you fairy just... dust. Yeah, right? <laughs> and it's just it's and it's and just been used again and again and again. And, and seeing just... cases where there are law enforcement op- officers, I've seen cases of this twice in the last year that were in, in national news mm. where police officers got caught Oh, planting, um, planting evidence drugs on people Ugh, yeah and they they had evidence that they'd done it to tens of people wow who are in jail wow right yeah so the the ease with which people can abuse that sort of power right because of that sort of law is just absurd um, right you can't really like fake somebody stealing or murdering somebody you know like yeah. actual crimes yeah. But you can sure as hell fake really easily that someone possesses a drug. Penalties for this are just ridiculously out of proportion too. So Right. Especially like with these these third strike rules, mm-hmm. right? Where it's like if you you know, 
committed petty theft and then mm-hmm. you know you had some other kind of low-level crime and then you were caught possessing something you could spend like 10 or more years in mm-hmm. prison right for mm-hmm. basically doing very little yeah um so yeah and then of course you know when you start talking about the prison industrial complex as like a you know second wave slavery basically Absolutely. it's um yeah yeah i mean it really is it's a it's it's you know there's a clear you're right. It's it really is like a second. Um, it's a second slavery. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When I I haven't been very politically active in a while, but this is one of those issues that could like get me back back in the fight. Mm-hmm. Just, ugh, it, yeah, gets my gets my blood going a little bit. Yeah, um, it is truly unjust. So here I'm doing my little part and hopefully increasing awareness about it. Right. Well, so <clears throat> it's cool, though, because already we're seeing some of these pushes for legalization. Um, like, for example, in our own state of Oregon, mm-hmm. it's um, there's going to be a measure on the ballot in 2020, or at least people are pushing for that right now. Um, it's actually called the Oregon Psilocybin Services Act of 2020. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah. And so, uh, you know, this is this is something that's really uh, and, and basically riding the wave that medical marijuana was riding mm-hmm. as well. Um, similar kind of thing. And the city of Denver actually right. was kind of leading the way with this. And they so it was interesting what they did. They didn't decriminalize um, mushrooms as it, like it, it's not legal to do it in the city still but what the the measure basically did was to tell law enforcement look don't don't worry about lowest this. priority yeah just yeah. like don't trip about it like if there's anything else to focus on just focus on that instead so it's really interesting I just thought, a law like de-emphasizing right yeah so it's 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 kind of it's an interesting approach to law right mm-hmm. which is that you know you're still breaking the law it's it, maybe a little bit like jaywalking or something right where it's like it is breaking the law but like you know you have to be a bit unlucky to get busted for it right because law enforcement's just not considering it like a, a big infraction right and, and and then if you do get busted for it you know the the penalty is going to be much less severe as well yeah now that um that vote was really close. That was a like a referendum or initiative or whatever they call yeah. it. It was a ballot measure. And yeah. it was like fifty point six. Like, it was like half a percent in favor of de emphasizing. Exactly. It's, yeah. Yeah. Um I think that was in the last year. Also in the last year, Oakland decriminalized all quote unquote plant medicines, which includes really? mushrooms. Yeah. Wow. So that's mushrooms, cannabis. Um I don't know, what are some other plants? I guess salvia divinorum. Yeah, I wonder um, if Kratom Kratom would be one. Well, mm-hmm. it hopefully isn't criminalized to begin Maybe with. Maybe not. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> True. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, the the signs are hopeful, basically. Certainly for the use of, of you know, psilocybin mushrooms anyway. Uh, you know, I don't know if LSD's kind of got its own legislation or its own things going on, you know. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, I just, I think... I think that there is a growing awareness in this nation at all times that uh, just just kind of continuing to chip away at the war on drugs, basically, and mm-hmm. try to get mm-hmm. just a more sensible approach mm-hmm. in place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, totally there. So Schedule 2 drugs, basically, these are all drugs that have a high potential for abuse. 
a little bit less of a potential for that than schedule one as defined by who the hell knows Mm. and potentially leading to severe psychological and physical dependence. Mm. Uh, But some of these drugs you'll see are medically prescribed, Mm. which which we didn't see with schedule one. Okay. Um, So this includes fentanyl, um, Adderall, Ritalin, cocaine, methamphetamine, and, you know, a handful of others, probably a lot more others. Um, Mm-hmm. And then schedule three is substances or chemicals defined as drugs with moderate to low potential for physical and psychological dependence. Potential for abuse is less than schedule one and two. Ketamine is schedule three. Uh, Vicodin is on there. And then schedule four is stuff with low, basically the lowest potential. Oh, wait, we go down to schedule five too. Hmm. So there's five. This is um, low potential for abuse. And low risk of dependence. And this includes Xanax, Soma. I didn't know Soma was a real drug. I thought hmm. that was from Brave New World. <laughs> it is from Brave New World. Yeah, I just didn't know. Yeah. Some pharmaceutical company out there is like, like, we yes. should actually make Soma. <laughs> that's hilarious. Um, Darvacet, blah, blah, blah. And then that's what we, where we want mushrooms to be, I guess. Yeah. And apparent, you know, I'm sure in terms of crime and punishment, there's... A range of recommended sentences or something like that where yeah, if someone possesses is, these um, and it's, it's lower as you go down yeah right exactly uh so l- the last one schedule five lower potential for abuse right, sure let's bring it let's bring mushrooms down to schedule four and w- for that matter lsd yeah and um because these aren't addictive substances mm-hmm. and they have an extremely low toxicity profile meaning mm. they don't do organ damage right right Right. I'm suffering organ damage today from drinking last night. <laughs> yes. Okay, to be honest. Yeah, which is pro- probably the drug responsible for the most organ damage in the world. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Um, with psychedelics, you can definitely overdo them in a mental sense. Mm. You can get to some really uncomfortable places. Mm-hmm. Some people would argue that you could grow a lot through those even negative experiences. Mm-hmm. I'll let other people decide. Um and but they really haven't as far as i know there's no as i've been listening to interviews and experts talk about this there's no lasting physiological effects from taking a psychedelic Mm -hmm. yeah there's kind of an urban legend that you can take too much and trip and not come back from it and there i think i'm i I thought that that was true, and I've been hearing more that that probably isn't true, but I mm. do think that, I, I guess I've always had this impression that if someone has a predisposition towards schizophrenia or multiple personality disorder or something like that, it could sort of trigger maybe a more rapid onset of the symptoms of those mental illnesses. Could. Mm-hmm. Could. And I just don't, you know, I don't know if there's enough science out there to like support whether or not this does or has happened. But... Well, and I think that you hit the nail on the head there, which is that, and this is what the Johns Hopkins University was saying, mm-hmm. was just, we just don't have enough actual studies mm-hmm. on it, right? And when so, it, yeah. you know, I think that that, that it really does point to the fact that, I mean, there's enough use of this stuff and there's enough potential benefits that really does behoove them to really look into it and it'd be a hard thing to study because to get into one of these studies as a subject you don't want to have a history like they're not going to let you in if you have a history with 
a serious mental illness. Well, I mean, may- maybe there could be another study, you yeah, know, which is done specifically on people who've struggled with schizophrenia or okay. whatever. Okay, you know, I-, I don't really know, but yeah, okay. I don't see why not. Yeah, um, but yeah, it's yeah, I for me, it really does just highlight the fact that you know we need more science on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Always more science. More science. Glad to hear you say it. <laughs> I, this, is, this is one of those things that science is very good for and very yeah. good at, you know? It's mm-hmm. a great application of the method. Mm-hmm. So big disclaimer about the content of the show. We're talking about powerful substances that if taken without guidance and without care can have serious consequences. Um, Not particularly in the microdose territory, I wouldn't say, but these substances are very potent. Be careful. And we're not endorsing that our listeners try these things. I'm just stating information and people can do with it what they will. But I I don't want the show to be an endorsement, I guess, in terms of like Mm. any particular use of them. And mostly I just don't want responsibility for what people do when they hear this, right? So I just want to do due diligence by stating that definitely yeah i think people listening to this if you are interested in using psychedelics definitely look into legality in your area um definitely know what you're getting into be Mm -hmm. responsible do your research Mm -hmm. consider your tolerances for other things Mm -hmm. um start light and really try to source your stuff from people you trust Mm -hmm. Um, this is all kind of basic good practice when it comes to doing drugs We care about you. Be safe. And have fun. Have fun. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Listening Glass. If you've enjoyed this show, we'd love it if you'd share it with your friends and on social media. Your word of mouth means a lot to us and is a way you can help our humble podcast grow. Naturally, those interviewed for this episode prefer to remain anonymous due to the contraband status of psychedelics. Therefore, I will be thanking them for their very generous and insightful contributions by their codenames. Thank you Space Dog, Molly, Anonymous Periwinkle, Anonymous Dude One, and Samuel Taylor Rain Leclerc. If you're looking for further information, one book you could check out would be A Really Good Day by Ayelet Waldman from 2017. Another is The Psychedelic Explorer's Guide by James Fadiman, which was published in 2011. We gathered a lot of content for this show and couldn't fit it all into the time block we were aiming for, but if you want to hear some of our more tangential discussions, check out the extras for this show which will be available shortly after the release of this episode. In the extras, we talk about the default mode network and the art of happiness. Also, Arjuna hits on some important cultural considerations of plant-based psychedelics and shares the tale of Maria Sabina. In our last show, episode 8, Our Cars Getting Uglier, we speculated that lighter, smaller cars might be as safe as larger ones. I've done some cursory research since then, and it seems to be false, at least in the case of car-to-car collisions, where crash data suggests that larger vehicles are generally safer. Find us on our Twitter handle, at ListeningGlass. You can leave feedback there or by emailing us at listeningglasscast at gmail.com.